ಅಸತೋಮಸದ್ಗಮಯ ತಮಸೋಮ್ಯೋತಿರ್ಗಮಯ ಮೃತ್ಯೋರ್ಮೃತಂಗಮಯ ಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿಶಾಂತಿ ಲೀಡರ್ಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ದ ಅನ್ರಿಯಲ್ ಟು ದ ರಿಯಲ್ ಲೀಡರ್ಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಡಾರ್ಕ್ನೆಸ್ ಟು ಲೈಟ್ ಲೀಡರ್ಸ್ ಫ್ರಮ್ ಡೆತ್ ಟು ಇಮಾರ್ಟಾಲಿಟಿ ಓಂ ಪೀಸ್ 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 ಬಿಯನ್ ಟು ಅಸ್ ಪೀಸ್ ಬಿಯನ್ ಟು ಆಲ್ friends the subject for today's service is guidelines for right living vedanta places before us the goal of self realization realizing our true self vedanta teaches that we are all divine we are not just this body not just this mind but we are all divinities on earth only this divinity is latent in us it needs to manifest in our thoughts and actions and when it is fully manifest we are one with the divinity and the divinity that one divinity that oneness of existence manifests itself as gods and goddesses of different forms of different religions but the truth is one one existence which appears as different forms of gods it also appears as all of us as everyone in creation so to realize this divinity to know that we are one with the divinity and that is the goal of life most of the time we are attached to our body and still longer more often we are attached to the mind we are attached to the mind in that we think we are the mind we are calm this moment confused the next moment tensed up so we are identified with the mind we are identified with the body and as a sequel we are identified with things outside with people outside these are mine these are my people these are my things these are my possessions vedanta says your true i completely purified of its attachment to body and mind is what is your divine nature so this purification and knowing ourselves as the atman as the divinity that is the goal of life now guidelines for right living essentially is going to be about living the spiritual way and living the spiritual way does not pertain only to the hours of meditation it's an integrated way how to work how to live a god centered life how to spiritualize our life how to ensure that we don't toe the line of the mind but march forward toward god realization we said vedanta vedanta means the upanishads the end portion of the vedas the upanishads form the knowledge portion of the vedas the work portion of the vedas karmakanda deals with rituals fire sacrifices about attainment of heaven through these sacrifices but the knowledge portion the purest portion of the vedas that forms the end portion of the veda end means anta and vedas is plural singular is veda so veda anta is vedanta that means the end of all knowledge veda itself means knowledge so the end of all knowledge and by vedanta 
are meant primarily the Upanishads, the knowledge portion of the Vedas. And the Upanishads deal with our true nature, the nature of God, the relationship between us, mutual relationship between us and our relationship with God, the goal of life, which is realization of this divinity. So all this is contained in the Upanishads. And the Bhagavad Gita is the quintessence of all the Upanishads. If all the Upanishads could be compared to a cow, the Gita forms the milk of the cow. That's the essence. That's how the meditation verse describes the Gita. All the Upanishads are compared to a cow. The Gita is the milk. And Arjuna, to whom Sri Krishna gave these teachings, is the calf to whom the milk is meant. But the milk is meant not only for the calf, but for others too. Those others are people endowed with discrimination and wisdom. Sudhir Bhokta. Sudhi. Dhi means buddhi. Sudhi means people in whom the power of discrimination is developed, people in whom wisdom has dawned, people who have begun to question the validity of experiences we gather from this life, begin to question if there is a higher goal of life. Such people are sudhis, people in whom discrimination, this faculty is developed. So they are the consumers of this milk. The calf drinks the milk, but the consumers, the main consumers are such people endowed with wisdom. So the Gita, which contains the quintessence of the Upanishads, has certain guidelines which can help us in right living. In the Gita you find that there are certain teachings which are given as imperatives. Do this refrain from this, give up this. Categorically, Sri Krishna mentions, do this, you will attain this, give up this. So such imperatives, we'll consider some of them. Some imperatives concerning moral life, first concerning self-effort. Self-effort is fundamental in Vedanta. In Vedanta, we need to struggle hard to realize the divinity that is potential in us. Nothing happens by proxy. Vedanta doesn't prescribe any shortcuts. There is no instant salvation. There is no instant realization in Vedanta. But Vedanta promises, if you follow the pathway laid down by those sages and seers, who plumbed the depths of their own mind and realized this divinity. If you follow those guidelines, you are sure to reach the truth. You are sure to manifest the divinity that is hidden in you. But there is no shortcut. There is no instantaneous salvation or instantaneous spiritual experience. So the Gita speaks about self-effort. And there are some imperatives from the Gita about moral life. And then we have teachings about work, how to work, and then about devotion. The Gita abounds in teachings on devotion. So we'll consider some of these imperatives, which we can look upon as guidelines for right living. The Gita begins with both the sides, the side of the Kauravas, the villains, the side of the Pandavas, the five noble brothers, arrayed against each other in battle. The battle was inevitable after the kingdom of the Pandavas was taken away by the Kauravas, Duryodhana and his brothers by deceit. So the war became inevitable after all avenues for peace had been exhausted, 
none other than Sri Krishna himself went as an emissary to Duryodhana to ward off this war. So the war became inevitable. And Arjuna, born in a kingly caste, Kshatriya, his dharma was to fight this battle, righteous battle. But suddenly, when he saw all those people, his elders, venerable elders, Bhishma, grandsire Bhishma, his guru Drona, and guru Kripacharya, and his cousin Duryodhana, and his other brothers, seeing all these people in the battlefield, suddenly Arjuna developed cold feet. He developed misplaced compassion. He forgot he was deluded. He forgot where his duty lay. His duty as a Kshatriya was to participate in this war and win the kingdom back for himself because he and his brothers were noble and the kingdom that was lost to his own cousins had to be won back. Arjuna started speaking philosophy, killing all these people, my relatives, great-grandsire Bhishma, my guru Dronacharya, whose favorite pupil was Arjuna, killing all these people, getting back the kingdom and enjoying that kingdom. That enjoyment will be stained with blood as it were. That was Arjuna's argument. Any person who is vulnerable, who is gullible, can easily be sold for Arjuna's argument. And he said, much better it would be if I throw away all my weapons, I am armless and I am killed in this battle by my enemies. Much better it would be if I don't participate in this battle, instead subsist on arms by begging. And he advances a couple of more arguments. And these arguments form the first chapter of the Gita. And in the second chapter beginning, after exhausting himself with all this argument, Arjuna himself felt all these arguments didn't help him. He was weak. He was confused. He conceded that much. Arjuna said, I'm confused. I don't know where my duty lies. I am your disciple. I take refuge in you. Please tell me what to do. And Sri Krishna was his charioteer. And then begins the teaching of the Gita. Sri Krishna at the beginning of his teachings itself gives this one important teaching, imperative. Yield not to unmanliness, O Partha. Give up this faint-heartedness, give up this pettiness that you find in the second chapter, third verse. Yield not to unmanliness. The original word is Klaibhyam Masmagam of Partha. Unmanliness is a very respectable translation. Klaibhya means being a neuter, neither a man nor a woman. Don't yield to that. Don't yield to cowardice and give up this petty-mindedness, kshudram, and give up this faint-heartedness. In short, give up weakness and rouse yourself. That is the first teaching Sri Krishna gives to Arjuna and through him to all of us. Arjuna is the calf and we are the consumers of the milk. So weakness and petty-mindedness, lack of faith in ourselves, lack of initiative, all that needs to be given up. That is the first imperative you find in the Gita. A fundamental imperative for right living. And in the sixth chapter, Sri Krishna makes it very clear that we need to raise ourselves by our own self. Uplift yourself by yourself. That means no one can do it for us by proxy. Our teacher cannot do it for us. Someone else's prayer cannot do it for us unless we struggle ourselves. When we begin to struggle, 
when we begin to be regular with our spiritual practice others prayers help us our teachers blessings help us we are able to move forward without much difficulty but we need to take the first step ourselves so shri krishna says uplift yourself by yourself uddhareth atmana atmanam uplift atman by the atman if you want to literally translate it but what's meant is uplift your mind with the help of your will buddhi so that's another important teaching shri krishna gives we need to raise ourselves so there is no substitute for self effort and in the same verse where shri krishna says uplift yourself he says do not degrade yourself that's another important teaching you find this in shri ramakrishna's teaching you find this in swami vivekananda's teaching shri ramakrishna says one should be able to have such faith as to be able to say i have repeated the name of god how can i be weak anymore how can i sin anymore that kind of a faith i cannot do it i am weak i am a sinner doesn't help anyone shri ramakrishna says a person who keeps saying i am a sinner i am a sinner remains veritably a sinner if that's the goal we can continue to do that but if we need to purify ourselves if we need to manifest the divinity that is latent in us that belittling ourselves dwelling on the dark sides of our character is not going to help us move even an inch from where we are you find this in the gita itself not manam avasadayet don't belittle yourself don't degrade yourself don't demean yourself i am a child of god i can do it shri ramakrishna says tell god i might have done questionable things in the past i might have sinned in the past but i won't do it again make that contract make that promise with god and stick to it that sticking to it is what is called sincerity shri ramakrishna says be sincere and god listens to your prayer we can even pray to god to be sincere but sincerity is what counts and not belittling ourselves i cannot do it no i can with the help of god who doesn't dwell somewhere beyond the clouds but right here right here as the core of my being with the help of the purity and that infinite strength buried in me i can do it that is the strength i am a spark of the divine fire i can do it so that's an important teaching for right living we should not demean ourselves and then shri krishna says in the 16th chapter the chapter that deals with divine qualities and demonic qualities there shri krishna says there are three things which are to be given up lust anger and greed these three form a triple gateway to hell says shri krishna he says there are three gateways to hell leading to the ruin of the self that means we kill our own higher self though the self cannot be killed from one point of view the fire cannot burn it the wind cannot dry it water cannot wet it but we kill it in that our own self becomes an alien to us our own body and mind become continue to be real to us we continue to be attached to things we continue to be attached to people outside and court misery so these three are a triple gateway to hell lust anger and greed and they lead to the ruin of the self therefore give up these three shri krishna is very clear and next he says in the 18th chapter three things ought not to be given up they are sacrifice 
charity and austerity. These three, sacrifice, sacrifice in those days meant fire rituals. But sacrifice here is sacrificing our lower self for something higher. Holding ourselves as a sacrifice to others, if there is an occasion to be of service to others, in whichever way, physically, mentally, that means in the plane of ideas, you are able to offer idea to someone and that gives them immediately some lift. You point the way to someone so that they can think for themselves and evolve from there. All that is gift, all that is charity, not just physical help. Swami Vivekananda wants us. Most people mistakenly think that the physical help is the only help that can be given to others. Food, clothing and shelter, that is physical help. But this physical help is not only the last but also the least, says Swami Vivekananda. You have higher kinds of help. Giving medical help, giving the gift of education and giving the gift of spiritual knowledge, that is the highest help. So first is sacrifice, holding ourselves as a sacrifice. Do whatever we do in a spirit of sacrifice. Next is this charity. And third is austerity. Sri Krishna says, these activities must not be given up. They purify the wise. Wise means people who are endowed with discrimination. So sacrifice, charity and austerity are to be practiced. Sri Krishna says in the next verse, these activities should be done without attachment and desire for fruit. This is my conclusive and final judgment. And now we come to some teachings on work. How to work? How to do work as a spiritual discipline? Sometimes you get an impression that the Gita speaks about work. It's a treatise on Karma Yoga. It is, but not just that. It speaks of Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, the Yoga of Devotion, Raja Yoga, the Yoga of Meditation, and Jnana Yoga, the Yoga of Knowledge. It speaks about all these four Yogas. And it speaks of synthesis of all the Yogas too. So here, work as a spiritual discipline. You have certain imperatives from the Gita. How to do work? First is, we should do work without attachment. We know that well-known verse in the second chapter of the Gita. Karmanneva dikaraste. You have right only to work, not to the fruits of your work. And then in the second line, let not the fruits of action be the motive for your action. And comes the last, do not be attached to inaction. We should be able to do work we don't have right to the fruits of work. Contradictory requirement. So difficult. It is difficult, otherwise everyone would have done it. It is spiritual practice. That's why it is difficult. The mind always keeps on hankering about the fruit. The fruit will come, right. No one does anything without a purpose. That's a great saying in Sanskrit. Prayojanam anuddishya namandopi pravartate. Even a fool doesn't embark on an enterprise without a purpose in mind. So we have a purpose when we do work. But it doesn't make sense to think about the end all the time when we are doing work. That's what the mind does. It's always anxious about the outcome. Will it be in line with what I expect? Or if it's going to be something else? Or if it's not about the outcome? about something else that has happened or something that is to happen which may not happen but the mind keeps on thinking of all this so the Gita says you have right to work alone that means concentrate on the present you have chosen the means to be adopted to achieve a particular end 
Don't be anxious about the end. Shri Krishna says, you have right only to work, not to the fruits of work. And then in the second line, let not the fruits of action be the motive for your action. There is another translation, Swami Swarupananji's translation, which makes it much more clear. He says, do not be the cause of the fruit of actions. There is more literary and also it makes it clearer. Na ma karma phala hetur bhuhu. Hetu. Don't be a hetu for karma phala. That means don't be a cause of karma phala. What does it mean? Karma phala means fruit of action. Don't be a cause for the fruit of actions. That means if we work with some desire in mind, if we work with an agitated mind, now fundamentally with a desire in mind, with only the result in mind, that work will give rise to impressions, samskaras. Good work, good samskaras, bad work, bad samskaras. And by work, everything is meant. Mental work, physical work, eating is work, sleeping is work, and talking is work. Work does not necessarily mean what we do with our hands. We can sit quiet and the mind can be traveling from one place to another. That is work. As long as we do that, we are not doing good to ourselves. Because all those things, only it will deepen the impressions already in our mind. Or if it's about something new, it's going to give rise to new impressions. And new impressions, or old impressions, they have this fruit of action embedded in them. We gain an impression. And what happens because of this particular act now? A fruit will accrue, a result will accrue which is in the unseen realm, in the mental realm. It could accrue in this life or in later lives. But as we sow, so we reap. That is the essence of Karma Yoga. So that makes the case to be careful about our thoughts, to be careful about our actions. So Sri Krishna says here, don't be a cause for the fruits of actions. When you do work, this action will result in a fruit. That means it will affect you, good effect or bad effect. It will affect you when you do it with desire. When you don't do work with desire, but do it as worship, do it selflessly, offering the fruits of actions to God, then the fruits of actions don't affect you. You don't gather new impressions. That's what is meant here. Do not be the cause of the fruits of action. That means ensure that you work in such a way that you don't gain new impressions. The fruits of your actions should not affect you. So that's a very important teaching, oft-quoted teaching from the Gita. Any speaker on the Gita, you can be sure that this verse is one of the topics that is discussed, because it is so relevant, so valid. To work alone, you have the rights, not to the fruits thereof. So do not be the cause of fruits of action. And do not be attached to inaction either. A very clear don't. It's difficult to do work, difficult to rein in the mind. Instead of doing all these gymnastics, why not refrain from work at all? That's the nature of the tamasic mind, lazy mind, which will only make us slide back, slide down in the ladder of evolution. So Sri Krishna wants there, don't be attached to inaction. Mate sangostu akarmani. So that's a very clear imperative. Work without attachment. And he says in a couple of other places, in the third chapter, for example, therefore, always do your work without attachment. And then related to work, Sri Krishna gives the next teaching. 
do work with even mindedness he says in the second chapter being established in yoga perform your actions casting off attachment and remaining even minded both in success and failure this even mindedness is yoga so when we do work working with this equipoise with the even mindedness that means not being swayed by success or failure try to do work that way teaches shri krishna and this even mindedness shri krishna defines as yoga samatvam yoga uchyate samatva sama means equal samatva being same sided so that is defined as yoga and shri krishna teaches elsewhere in some other verse regarding alike pleasure and pain gain and loss success and defeat prepare yourself for battle thus you will incur no sin prepare yourself for battle that's a teaching given to arjuna what's meant for us is prepare yourself for the battle of life don't run away from problems don't run away from work don't shirk work work that is supposed to be done by you because there is no end to doing work some people cannot sit quiet they got to have some activity or other that's only the expression of a restless mind activity for the sake of activity that's not what is meant here what's meant here is don't be attached to your activity don't shirk what is expected of you we encounter some problem and sometimes we think that the problem might take care of itself solve itself with the passage of time which hardly happens the problem gets more complicated and the problem i had to address it myself and i have to address it after some days when i thought the problem would be solved but during these few days the problem has become more complicated and i have a more difficult problem in hand so shri krishna says don't shirk what you need to do don't be attached to inaction so regarding alike pleasure and pain gain and loss success and defeat prepare yourself for battle battle of life this life itself is a struggle we need to struggle when we don't have basic things in life which is the unfortunate case with people who are deprived of their jobs and all that the struggle is in that domain struggle for existence struggle for the very existence but when that is taken care of we begin to struggle for knowledge knowledge with a capital k spiritual knowledge struggle for consciousness right now we are conscious of the body conscious of the mind we struggle to separate this consciousness and experience it as it is being conscious of the fact that i am a child of god instead of being conscious that i am the body all the time so that struggle that's a higher struggle that struggle becomes possible only when we are done with that struggle shri ramakrishna will say religion cannot be for empty stomach you cannot talk about religion to a person who is deprived of these basic needs of life so the next struggle is this of course before the struggle for spiritual knowledge you have struggle for a decent living struggle for moral life then struggle for spiritual life so life itself if we analyze calmly it's a series of struggles swami vivekananda had as his disciple the maharaja of khetri that place in rajasthan of india this king asked the swami once swami ji what is life profound philosophical question and swami vivekananda's answer is equally profound life is the unfoldment and development of a being under circumstances which tend to press it down 
circumstances tending to press it down. Unfoldment and development of a being under circumstances tending to press it down. We are that being. The divine core, that is the being. Unfoldment of this divinity, unfoldment of this being and development of this being under circumstances beginning from the mind, body, senses, everything in the world, everyone else in the world to whom we feel attached, all that is included in circumstances. Everything other than the Atman is included under these circumstances. So, development and unfoldment of a being under all these circumstances which tend to press it down. Circumstances don't want us to manifest our divinity. They want us to identify ourselves with them. The mind wants us to be one with it. Any kind of order, any kind of steadiness, the mind rebels. Regularity in spiritual practice, you want to do work as worship, you want to keep taps on mind. During work, during meditation, you can experience the stiffest possible resistance from the mind. But that doesn't mean that we are going to give up. So battle. Sri Krishna says, regarding alike pleasure and pain, gain and loss, success and defeat, prepare yourself for battle. Battle of life. Don't worry, he says, don't worry about failure. Failure is inevitable. Given the fact that the mind has had its own way for long, for so many years, so many lifetimes, says Vedanta. For so many lifetimes we have been having this mind. The body has been changing. And this mind also is matter. It will die only when we realize the truth, spiritual truth. That spiritual truth, that spiritual knowledge will burn all our samskaras to ashes. Even as fire reduces firewood to ashes, teaches the Gita. So only in that moment of realization does the mind vanish. Otherwise, the mind is so subtle. But it is not the spirit. It is also matter, refined matter. And that is the receptacle of all our impressions. So the self, the divine self, associated with this mind, with all the impressions intact, continues the journey even after the body falls and assumes a new body. And thus the journey goes on, birth, death, birth, death, until we realize that we are one with the truth. So battle, life is a continuous struggle. So the struggle, as long as the struggle is present in our lives, life becomes meaningful. When there is no struggle, we succumb to the mind. We succumb to every random desire arising in the mind. That's why battle, look upon success and defeat, look upon pleasure and pain alike and prepare for battle. And about work again, Sri Krishna says, learn to work for the Lord, learn to work for God, as worship of God. In the third chapter, he says, the world becomes bound by action unless it is done for the sake of sacrifice, yajna. Unless work is done as yajna, it becomes a cause of bondage. Therefore, says Sri Krishna, give up attachment and do your work for the sake of the Lord. Yajna also means God himself, Yajno Vai Vishnu. So the world becomes bound by work when it is not done as Yajna, means when work is not done as worship of God, that work becomes a source of bondage. Therefore, learn to do work for the sake of Lord. And Sri Krishna says elsewhere in the third chapter, learn to work without fever. Yudhyasva Vigata Jvaraha Participate in this battle free from fever. The whole verse goes like this. Surrendering all actions to me with the mind intent on the self. Mind intent on the self means 
constantly remembering that one acts at the directions of the Lord who is seated in one's heart as the inner guide. Freeing yourself from longing and selfishness. Fight unperturbed by fever. Fever is mental fever. And what does this fever mean? Fever of expectation. Fever of anxiety. So fight, fight the battle of life freeing yourself from this mental fever. Physical fever is enough to weaken us. Mental fever is more so. It consists of this anxiety about the fruits of action, tension, restlessness. So while doing work, free yourself from expectation, egotism. Though apparently we are the doer, we have that sense of agency. We have to choose the beneficial in preference to the pleasant. We have to choose to be moral. All this we do using our will, the individual will. So apparently we are the worker. But a spiritual seeker tries to think of God even in the midst of work and offer the fruits of action to God at the end of it. Pray to God at the beginning of work. May you be able to do this as your instrument and may not be attached to this action. So Sri Krishna says here, free yourself from this expectation, free yourself from this anxiety and this egotism. I am the doer. I am the doer, all right, but I am an instrument in the hands of God that helps us achieve that much required even-mindedness. Even-mindedness is yoga. And Sri Krishna says, once again mentions about buddhi, keeping the buddhi awake while doing work. This karma yoga, Sri Krishna defines as buddhi yoga. Buddhi yoga means keeping your yourself awake, alert, distancing yourself from the mind, observing the mind as you do work. He says in the second chapter, Far inferior is mere action to action performed as buddhi yoga. Buddhi here refers to even-mindedness. We can be even-minded only when we distance ourselves from the mind. The mind wants to be just always dancing. Always it wants to be in a state of flux. So even-mindedness refers not to the mind but to us, the will, buddhi. So Sri Krishna says, far inferior is mere action to action performed as buddhi yoga. Seek refuge in buddhi. Buddhau sharanam anvicha. This is another very clear imperative. Seek refuge in buddhi. That means distance yourself from the mind. Identify yourselves with buddhi. The will. Exercise the will. Continue to do what you believe to be beneficial to you whether the mind is willing or it's resistant. That's what is meant here. When you do work, do it as buddhi yoga. Distance yourself from the mind, which is ready to break into waves any moment. Try to concentrate on the work in hand. Swami Vivekananda gives this teaching beautifully. When you're doing anything, do not think of anything beyond. Do it as worship, as the highest worship, and dedicate your whole life to it for the time being. That is this teaching expressed in English. It's a great mantra. When you're doing anything, including mental work, when you're doing anything, do not think of anything beyond. That means don't let the mind think of anything beyond the task in hand. But focus it on the task in hand. So I am different from the mind that is being focused, buddhi yoga. Do not think of anything beyond, do it as worship. When you do worship, we try to shower, put on, wash clothes, new clothes, and try to keep our mind at an acceptable level. We don't think of anything and everything when we try to do worship. We try to chant the name of God, we try to chant some hymn. Try to prepare the mind so that the mind doesn't stray when we do worship. 
Swamiji says, bring in this particular attitude in everything you do. Do it as worship, as the highest worship. As the highest worship, devote your whole life to it for the time being. So that the mind doesn't split into waves. The mind doesn't dissipate itself. And when energy is drained by such useless thoughts, there is hardly any energy left to do work as worship or to sit in prayer and meditation. So Sri Krishna says, seek refuge in buddhi, buddha sharanamanvicha, take refuge in the buddhi. Wretched or miserable are those who work for results. And now we see some important imperatives about mind control and the importance of buddhi again. Sri Krishna says in the third chapter, he emphasizes the need for disciplining the senses, the ears, the skin, the eyes, the nose, and the tongue. These five organs, sense organs, they bring us knowledge of objects from the world. They are the cause of perception. They are the cause of enjoyment. They are the cause of our succumbing to any and every random desire arising in the mind. So Sri Krishna says, this disciplining the sensory system is the most fundamental discipline required. He says in the third chapter, Arjuna wants to know from Sri Krishna, impelled by what? Does a man commit sin? As if by some force, impelled by what does man commit sin? In spite of himself, in spite of himself, as if some force is dragging him to do that. And Sri Krishna says there are two things which make him do this. One is desire. Second is anger. These two are responsible for people acting in a way they themselves know they ought not to do. And then Sri Krishna describes desire. What is the nature of desire? What is the root of desire? What is the seed of desire? Desire is all devouring. By just satisfying desire is not the way to get rid of desire. And Sri Krishna says at the end, this desire is your worst enemy. It robs you of your knowledge. It robs you of your realization. So he says, toward the end of the third chapter, as he concludes the discussion on desire, Sri Krishna says, therefore, control your senses at the outset and slay this foul destroyer of knowledge and realization. So control your senses at the outset. At the outset, that is the fundamental practice, spiritual practice. Karma Yoga, Bhakti Yoga, Raj Yoga, Jnana Yoga. Sense control, mind control, that is the basic discipline in all the yogas. This control is accomplished in different ways in different yogas. Perhaps the easiest way in Bhakti Yoga, the yoga of devotion, in which the natural tendencies of the mind the natural impulses are given a Godward turn. So that way you can say it is relatively easy. But that again is not easy. So sense control, disciplining these five senses, the ears, the skin, the eyes, the tongue and the nose, and above all the mind. The mind is the chief of all the organs. So disciplining the senses, Sri Krishna says, Control your senses at the outset. Tasmatvam indriyanyadav niyamya bharatar And slay this foul destroyer of knowledge, that means desire, destroyer of knowledge and realization. And then a couple of verses later, kill desire by knowing the Atman to be superior to buddhi. Therefore, know him who is superior to buddhi. Control the self by the self and destroy the enemy who comes in the guise of desire and is hard to overcome. So here again, buddhi. Knowing the Atman which is superior to buddhi, root yourself there. 
But of course, for us in practice, we identify ourselves with buddhi, with the will. And when that will also gradually gets purified, we identify ourselves more and more with the Atman. And about the will, Sri Krishna says, elsewhere in the sixth chapter, with the help of this will, with the help of buddhi, bring back the mind whenever it strays. Withdraw the fickle and unquiet mind from whatever causes it to stray and restore it to the control of the self alone. Sixth chapter. And then in the same chapter, 6.25, Sri Krishna says, Let a man, little by little, attain tranquility with the help of buddhi, armed with fortitude. Once the mind is established in the self, he should think of nothing else. So with the help of buddhi, armed with fortitude, fortitude is willpower in action. The expression of the will, dhriti, that is the word in Sanskrit. Buddhya dhriti grihitaya. With the help of buddhi and with the help of fortitude. That means the current and expression of your will, that should be used to bring back the mind. And we should do this little by little, shanai shanai. As we saw before, there is no instantaneous, there is no instant salvation. I do something today, expect something immediately tomorrow. And when someone promises this, people make a beeline. And hundreds of dollars, people don't mind burning that. But Vedanta says there can be no shortcut. You have to work, you have to be patient. Swami Vivekananda says, purity, patience and perseverance, these are the three essentials to success. Purity, patience and perseverance. That perseverance is very important. So Sri Krishna spoke about the mind and especially about buddhi in affecting this mind control. Now we'll see a few verses, a few imperatives on devotion. Sri Krishna gives this beautiful teaching. Remember me constantly at all times and fight. Mam Anusmara Yudhyacha Tasma Sarveshu Kaleshu Mam Anusmara Yudhyacha Therefore, at all times, Sarveshu Kaleshu Mam Anusmara, remember me constantly and fight. For us, fight this battle of life. Whatever is given to Arjuna is given to us by implication. It's not meant to be a work, a treatise restricted to battlefield. And the Gita, incidentally, is not a scripture that sanctions war, as some people, uninformed people, sometimes think. Arjuna's duty lay in participating in this battle. That's why Sri Krishna again and again tells him, Look upon pressure and pain as alike, look upon success and defeat as alike, and rouse yourself to this battle. And thus you won't incur sin. It doesn't mean you kill people randomly and then you won't incur sin. Gita is not such a scripture. He says, do your duty with even-mindedness. You won't incur sin, means you won't gather new impression. You won't gather bad impressions. That will go to purify your mind. So this teaching is, remember me constantly at all times and fight this battle of life. Repeating the name of God, thinking about God, praying to God before work. All this is remembrance. Not identifying ourselves with the mind, identifying ourselves with buddhi is equally remembrance of God. Because where is God? Beyond the cloud somewhere? No, behind this buddhi with which I try to identify, behind that is God, is the Atman. So when we learn to do work as worship, not letting the mind flit from the task in hand to what is going to happen. When I assert my independence against the mind and identify myself with the buddhi, I am practicing remembrance of God. We need to keep this very clear in our mind. We are taught to repeat the name of God at all times, during work, during other times. 
But sometimes, if you have some repetitive work doing with your hands, some kind of, you are a worker in an assembly line, there again you need to put your whole mind. Otherwise things could go differently. But there possibly we could think that we could keep on repeating the name and do the work. But there are certain activities. If you repeat the name, good if you can repeat the name, a part of your mind repeating the name, you are still doing your mental work. If you can accomplish that, very good. That's what we are expected to do ultimately. But suppose you try to repeat the name at that time, your concentration on the work, if it is mental work, that suffers. So here, distancing ourselves from the mind, asserting our independence as buddhi, doing it as worship, as the highest worship, is equally practicing the remembrance of God. Remember me constantly at all times and fight the battle of life. And Sri Krishna says about devotion, how to spiritualize your work, how to do work as worship, how to work for the Lord, you get the teaching in the ninth chapter, this imperative. Whatever you do, whatever you eat, whatever offerings you make in a sacrifice, whatever gifts you make, whatever austerities you perform, do it as an offering unto me. These are all very clear do's. Everything, do it as an offering unto me. And when you do that, Sri Krishna says, you will escape from the bondage arising from work. You will be free from both the good and evil effects of work. That means you neither gain good impressions nor gain bad impressions when you do work as an offering to God, which is spiritual practice. And we have seen that these impressions, which all of us are, the sum total of these impressions is what all of us are at any given moment. So we'll do well not to gather new impressions, and try to direct the mind to God. Sri Krishna gives us this potent method. Whatever you do, anything, you eat, you, you make gifts, you perform austerity, you do spiritual practice, do it all as an offering unto God. That means cultivate that selfless spirit in everything you do. I have done spiritual practice for two years, I have not gained anything. That is, we are trying to attribute to ourselves the fruits of our action. We need to offer that also to God. That's why we are taught at the end of spiritual practice. I offer this humble worship at your feet. That selflessness. Sri Shankara mentions in his commentary on probably this verse, the verse in the second chapter that we saw, to work alone you have the right, not to the fruits thereof. He says, we should even stay clear of the expectation that the Lord will be pleased by my work done as worship and bless me with realization. Even this expectation, you stay clear. But when an ordinary employer is going to reward us with pay, promotion, increment and all that, will not God, the supreme employer, reward us? He'll certainly do. But Shishankara says, try to cut out that expectation also from your mind. Do your work in the most selfless way possible. So Sri Krishna tells us here how to escape from both good and evil effects of work by offering everything to God. And then he says, he tells Arjuna, he makes a divine promise. This is actually a divine promise, but there is also an imperative here. He says, proclaim it boldly, Arjuna, that my devotee never perishes. That's a great, great inspiration. Nothing can overtake a devotee. A devotee never perishes, does not mean he won't die, does not mean the body won't die. But death is nothing to such a devotee. Death loses its sting to a devotee whose mind is fixed in God. So proclaim it boldly, O Arjuna, that my devotee never perishes. And then he gives this imperative, which we have seen any number of times. Having come to this impermanent and miserable world, Worship me. This world is an abode of misery. It's an abode of misery. 
for people in whom discrimination has dawned, wisdom has dawned. Otherwise, others will dispute this. This world is a source of happiness, right? Happiness alternates with misery. And Swami Vivekananda says, happiness comes to you wearing a crown of sorrow on its head. And what is a source of happiness for me today is proved to be a source of misery for me tomorrow when wisdom has dawned on me. So this whole world, which we consider to be permanent, Sri Krishna says, is an abode of misery. Dukkhalayam. And then he says, Ashashvatam, this is impermanent. With a little reflection we can understand. Things are impermanent. What we build can be impermanent. Relationships can be impermanent. Human support can be impermanent. The only permanent thing in this world is God. And the challenge is how to see God in the midst of all the experiences that we gather here. That's why Sri Krishna says, Anityam asukam lokam imam prapya bhajaswamam. You've come to this anitya, this impermanent world. Asukam, miserable world. Imam prapya, you've attained this. Bhajaswamam, worship me. A simple two-word imperative. Worship God when you're in this world. We are in this world. It's difficult to address misery. Sometimes we waste our energy in trying to understand why this has happened to me. I didn't do anything bad to anyone. Why should this misery visit me? Certain questions in the world will remain unanswerable. Certain incidents in the world will remain inexplicable. This not having an answer, not having an explanation, defines incidents in the world. So instead of wasting our energy in trying to understand something that is not understandable, Sri Krishna says, focus your mind on God, worship me. And then he says, in the 18th chapter, he gives the quintessence of his teachings on devotion, how a devotee should conduct himself or herself the sure prescription for us to realize God. 18th chapter, 65th verse. This verse also occurs in some other chapter. Fix your mind on me. Give your love to me. Worship me. Bow down before me. So shall you come to me. This is my promise to you. For you are dear to me. So fix your mind on me. First imperative, give your love to me. Sri Ramakrishna says, people shed jug full of tears for their wife, husband, children, possessions. How many people are able to weep for God? So Bhakti Yoga says, direct your love for others to God. When all our human emotions are directed toward God, such emotions act as purifying agents. Our natural tendencies, natural attachment to people, when it is directed toward God, they help us move toward God. So Sri Krishna makes this divine promise here. Fix your mind on me. Give your love to me. Worship me. Bow down before me. So shall you come to me. This is my promise to you. For you are dear to me. And then comes the crowning verse in the 18th chapter. No, that is a little later. This verse is 1862, a couple of verses earlier. Take refuge in Him alone, that means the Lord alone, with all your soul. By His grace will you gain supreme peace and the everlasting abode. And then this verse, Sarva Dharman Parityajya. Give up all dharma and adharma, of course. Give up all activities. Give up all desire-prompted activities and take refuge in me alone. Take refuge in God alone. When Sri Krishna says, when the Gita says, take refuge in me alone, it doesn't mean take refuge in Krishna alone and you will be saved, not otherwise. Such narrowness is never possible in Vedanta. So that's why every religious adherent can benefit from the teachings of the Gita. When Sri Krishna says, worship me, when he says, I, he doesn't refer to his body. 
For devotees of Krishna, this can be taken as gospel truth and that can intensify our faith in the ideal, but it's equally true of everyone. Worship me means worship the spirit as manifest in any forms. And then he says in the second verse, give up all desire prompted action, give up all these observances and take refuge in me alone and I will save you from all sins and you don't have to have any worry on the score. Aham tuva sarva pape bhyo mokshe I'll free you from all sins. That means what? I'll free you from all your samskaras, all your impressions. That means I'll free you from the hold of your mind and you will become one with truth. You will attain God. So don't worry. So that is Sri Krishna's crowning imperative. Take refuge in me. Surrender. Surrender to God. So what we discussed today was some imperatives from the Gita which can serve as guidelines for right living, for spiritual living. And we saw some imperatives regarding self-effort and we saw some moral precepts and Sri Krishna taught us how to do work as a spiritual discipline and how to effect discipline of the mind and the senses with the help of buddhi. And finally, he taught us how to live a God-centered life and how to surrender ourselves to God. Thank you.